Amen. Hey, great to see you this morning. Come on, give the Lord one more hand today. He is worthy of our praises. And tell your neighbor you are, well, tell your neighbor you like the shoes this morning. How about socks? What do you think? I dress myself too. It's amazing. 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in that chapter. So let me encourage you to turn there. Today is, uh, we remember 2,000 years ago, what's historically called Palm Sunday. It's the day Jesus came in Jerusalem. They heralded him as a king, but in five days later, they would crucify him as a common criminal. It is called the Passion Week. Uh, if you read through the Gospel of John, if you pick up in our Bible reading, you'll follow along these last few days of Christ. And uh, I hope that you'll remember this week, particularly on Friday. I hope you'll pause to remember even if you're an early riser, Jesus was awake before you were. He was going before Pilate. He was violently beating, beaten. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon is when he officially died. The Bible says there was darkness on the face of the earth. Uh, at that moment, there was an earthquake. and It was a miraculous moment. But, the, uh, but how many know, not only did he die, the veil of the temple was torn in half. The Jewish temple that symbolized the fact that now the relationship with God and man can be restored. But we're going to be communicating all this this week on our church Facebook page. Just to kind of give you a little reminder, so if you're not uh, following us, please do it. Go ahead and do it now, if you like. But uh, today, I'm going to finish a series, not a series, a two-part message I entitle Sexual Choices. And uh, Lord willing, after Easter, we'll start a series called Supernatural. We'll look at the supernatural aspects of the Bible and uh, how they might occur in our life. But 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, let me paint a little background, a little bit of review. Uh, David is the king of, of the nation of Israel. Israel is a united kingdom. They are one of the world's superpowers at this time. Uh, verse 1, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent out Joab, his commander, with the whole Israelite army. But notice, David remained in Jerusalem. Last time we spoke about this, we learned a lesson here. How many know if you're in the wrong place, you're likely to do the wrong thing? One evening, David got up from his bed, and I guess uh, the storm had knocked out his cable TV there. Dish network wasn't working. I guess my only joke, all right? So if you missed it, you missed it. But he got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace, and he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful, and he sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, which was his friend. But that knowledge didn't stop him. David sent messengers to get her. Lust had taken over. She came to him. He slept with her. And the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. But as we look ahead in verse 27, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Uh, let me paint a little background. David made the wrong sexual choice. Uh, like American culture today, J David chose the passion for the moment and he ignored God's boundaries that he had placed around this wonderful experience and he paid a terrible price. Last time, if you recall, we talked about God's view of sex. Uh, we've grounded it in Hebrews 13.4. The scripture says, honor marriage, that is the committed relationship, a lifetime commitment between a man and a woman. Honor that relationship and notice to guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. Sacredness is a word that is not applied to sex in our culture. How many can say double amen on that? 
But from God's view in the context of marriage, it is a sacred expression. God is for sex. And everybody said, Yeah, he's for Don't say it too loud. God is for sex, it, for obviously having children, but also for enjoyment. And in case you hadn't thought about this, God created our bodies to enjoy this experience. Um, but he put a boundary around the experience of sexual intimacy. He put a fence around it, as it were, and he called it marriage. Uh, we also learn from God's Word, which, by the way, our notes are always uh, online. Even right now, you could have your app, your phone, you could be following along, or uh, you could download the past message. But kind of foundationally, we talked about uh, what the Bible defined as sinful or wrong sexual activity. For the heterosexual, it was fornication. Uh, it, it's adultery. Uh, and then homosexual sexual activity. We talk very candidly from the Bible to see what God's Word has to say. But clearly our culture has turned its back on God's plan for sexuality and suffering the consequences. But how many know you and I don't have to go that direction? How many know we can choose a new course for our life? I don't care about your past. I don't care about your yesterdays. I thank God God's forgiven my yesterdays. How about you? Listen, and, 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 and as I start this today, let me tell you, I'm not just some guy with a suit, uh, a holy Joe up here talking to you. Uh, I became a Christian at age 19. But 17, 18, and 19, I was a wild child. I'm not proud of it. I tell people today, particularly when I talk to youth, I say, uh, uh, I'm 62, the um, worst memories of my life, the greatest regrets I have, guess when? 17, 18, and 19. I was old enough to go out and do my own thing. I was told I could do it. I had a little money, and I, and I experienced it. And I have shame that I have to be careful of fighting even today. So I speak to you as someone who walks where you walk, someone who faces temptation as you face temptation. But I tell you this, I've been married to Linnell for 36 years this past week. And uh, I have been faithful to her for 36 years. I have not had a girlfriend. Have you had a boyfriend? Have you had a girlfriend? No. Okay. Just checking. Just checking. Well, okay, preacher, you got my attention this morning. Glad I came. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the consequences of wrong sexual choices. Then we're going to talk about the benefits of following God's plan, and they're there. And lastly, I, I have a, a section of hope because I know most of us either have had or are having now this struggle with this issue, this boundary in our life. And I have hope for you this morning because as we'll see through the life of David, when David confessed and repented of what he had done wrong, God showed mercy in his life. And how many know nothing we do is final? Come on now. God can forgive us and God can give us a brand new start. Give him a big, a big hand today. Now, this is a relevant message. It's in our, paper, it's in our news right now. Two vice presidents... The one on the left, uh, Vice President Pence, uh, the headline under him was, he won't eat alone with any woman but his wife, Karen. The, the media lambasts him, belittles him. Then we got Uncle Joe here who wants to be president, a former vice president. That gal doesn't look like she's too excited about what he's doing. Uh, this headline, the media Democrats and sexual misconduct allegations against Joe Biden. It's not my intent today to prove him right or wrong. That's between he and God. But there's a difference in these two men, their outlook of the boundary of sexual expression. And I, I want to kind of go with that today. And I want to begin back with David, uh, chapter 11, verse 6 of 2 Samuel. 
And I want to show you that his sin had consequences. Now, when I talk about, if you would have told me at 18 that having sex was a sin, I would have laughed at you. If you would have told me there are consequences, I would say, not with me, there's not. But as life unfolds itself, you realize that God always knows best. David's sin has consequences, and so will ours. Let, let's look at David's attempt to cover up. Now, mind you, she comes back, or she sends a message to him and says, I'm pregnant, and David's walking around the palace thinking, what am I going to do? He's losing sleep, and he has an aha moment. Scripture says, he sent word to Joab, the commander, send Uriah back home. This was Bathsheba, the pregnant gal's husband. And when he gets there, David is as nice as he can be. They enjoy one another's company. They're friends. And he says, Uriah, go home to your house and wash your feet. Well, that's a nice way of saying, go home, take a shower, you stink, eat a good meal, and sleep with your wife. And then, voila, problem solved. The only problem, Uriah didn't go along. He slept at the entrance of the palace and didn't go down to his house. And he said his reasoning was it would be a dishonorable thing. When all my fellow soldiers are out there fighting, I'm not going to have enjoyment. David got a little more panicked. This is what cover-ups do. He said, well, stay here one more day. And then David got him drunk, thinking, well, surely when he gets a little tipsy, he's going home with his wife and uh, every, everything will be okay. But he didn't go home. And then David, in this position of power, realized there was one more option for him. So he wrote a letter to Joab, the commander, and ironically he had Uriah carry the letter. And he told him, put Uriah in front where the fighting's fiercest, withdraw from him and he'll be struck down and die. So now he's going to kill his friend. Well, she bears a wife, or she mourns a bit, uh, she becomes his wife and they bear a son. But we have this little epitaph, what David had done displeased the Lord. And here's how I want to present this today. Not sexual boundaries as a commandment, you better not, or God's going to whack you with his floss water. No, I want to suggest to you that at the root of this thing, it affects your relationship with God. If you cross a line, even if you don't get all the way across, for someone that's genuinely following the Lord, your conscience is going to be bothering. Can I tell you, that's a good thing. But, but when we cross the line, it affects our relationship with God. Now, David is a leader, and God deals with leaders uh, a bit more severely, and his consequences are greater. But David thinks everything is fine, but God knows. And, and the Lord, verse 1 now, sends Nathan the prophet to David. And Nathan tells a story. He said, David, there's two men, a rich one and a poor one. And they're examples of the situation. David is the rich man. Uriah is the poor man. Uh, the rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man only had one little ewe lamb. Oh, by the way, named Bathsheba. Well, the traveler came to the rich man. His buddy came to see him, but the rich man <laughs> refused to take one of his own sheep or cattle and butcher them for the traveler. But he took the little ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it. Now, as king, David was also a judge, and this angered him deeply. Verse 5, he burned with anger, and he makes a vow, as surely as the Lord lives, this man must die. And Nathan the prophet, I'd imagine, he pointed his finger at David and said, you're the man, you're guilty. And I would imagine, you see, the New Testament, David's final epitaph in Acts is a man after God's own heart. You know, David wrote most of the Psalms in the Bible. They're worship songs. This man had a love for God that all of us aspire to. I would imagine that David 
not just in the back of his mind, but probably in the forefront of his mind, his conscience was still tender. And when Nathan said, you're the guilty man, David knew he was wrong. And this is what the Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you king and I gave all Israel uh, in Judah. If this had been too little, I would have given, given you even more. Notice what he says. Why? Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what's evil in his eyes? He didn't first name adultery. He didn't first name murder. But it was the word of the Lord. It was something about he and God. Now, there's a couple lessons as we begin. The first one is cover-ups don't work. Now, they work for a little while. But sooner or later, they get squeezed. Anybody ever covered anything up? Kind of told a lie about it? Would you tell us what it was? <laughs> Listen, we've all done it. Shame to say, I think my wife has too. <laughs> but David's cover-up started out innocently. He's just going to bring the guy home. He's smart. But he has to keep ratcheting up. Have you ever found if you told a lie, it would rarely be enough? You would have to add to the lie. Yeah, uh, he's going to murder his friend. Here's the second thing, though, that I really want you to grasp is the heart of this. My orientation to the Bible and Christianity is around the great commandment. When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment in all the Bible, he didn't say adultery. He didn't even say murder. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's my whole orientation. So when I'm talking to you, it's not as a commandment, it's as your relationship with God as reflected in things that make him happy. Uh, my wife has things that makes her happy in life, and I tell this often because it's true and I want brownie points, but um, one of the things she loves is she loves to have a clean house. So whenever she goes out of town, you know, she, she loves it when her house comes home. And I, I called her this week. She was a lead emissions team. And I said, honey, I'm sorry, but I've been busy this week, and I have not had a chance to uh, take care of the house. And she said, oh, that's okay. I just want to be with you. Well, guess what I did? <laughs> I cleaned the house anyway and washed her car and did, 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 did a lot of things. Why did I do that? Not because I have to. Not because it's in our marriage agreement or our prenuptial contract. It's because I love her. And it's something that makes her happy. And here's what I want you to see. Staying in the boundaries of intimacy with your wife, your spouse, makes God happy. My choice for sexual intimacy is tied for my love for God. Let me give you one more lesson from this story so far. We can hide our sin from people, but we can't hide from God. You'll always know it, and it will follow you down. Listen, even if you're watching pornography, even if you say, well, I've never crossed the line. Even my conservative websites, news sites, I mean, they, you know, they're, you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're pulling you in. But it's a good thing when you're convicted when you cross the line. Now, let's move on. David's consequences, verse 10. David now has been shamed by Nathan the prophet in front of everybody. In verse 10, the prophet says, the sword will never depart from your house. In other words, there's going to be violence in your home because you despised me. We don't. Our culture today, sex is, 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 a, is a personal thing. It's an intimate thing. It's my business. It's none of yours. But, but God has a standard, and when we break it, we, we're despising God. And you took the wife of Uriah. And then the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. What happened? Sin brings judgment. 
and a one-night affair turned into a nightmare. A one-night affair turned into a nightmare. You say, Pastor, what happened? What was the calamity? Let me tell you what happened to David. His son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar, and then her, Tamar's brother Absalom murders, kills Amnon, and then Absalom runs away from home, and Dad feels bad, but he asks him to come back, and then Absalom starts a, a, a revolt and, try, and takes the kingdom from David, and David has to leave town, and then his soldiers fight Absalom's soldiers, and Absalom is killed, and David is grieved, but all the while in the back of his mind, he realized these are the consequences for my choice. Now, I'm not suggesting that happens to every one of us, but that's what happened to David. But here's what I do want you to see. We're going to take this a little closer to home. Our sexual choices don't only affect us. They affect our family because the sins of the fathers are often perpetuated by the children. Let me say it again. The sins of the fathers are often repeated by the children. Let me read you about David's family first, and then we'll, we'll broaden it. 2 Samuel 13, David's, uh, uh, what happened in David's home. Uh, his son Absalom had a sister, Tamar. Amnon, her half-brother, became so obsessed with Tamar, he became ill. What does that mean? <laughs> Lust was go making him go crazy. It was fi she was fixated in his mind, and he couldn't get over it. Uh, he became sick. She was a virgin. Am Amnon thought he could never have her. And then he and a buddy went to scheming. And the buddy said, play like you're sick. And uh, uh, ask, uh, ask your daddy to tell her to bring you a happy meal. Another joke, you missed that too. Uh, ask her daddy to bring you something to eat. And she did it. And she, uh, uh, Absalom said, bring the food into my bedroom. But as she's feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me. She said, no, my brother, and he raped her. And then the strangest verse, suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her more than he'd loved her. Now, what are the lessons here? Lust was controlling his life because lust controlled his daddy's life. Now, listen, every person has to decide, but I'm telling you there's a generational curse that can follow you. And if lust was nurtured in your, chi in your children's lives, if lust is being nurtured by pornography, if lust is being nurtured by movies, it will act itself out. But uh, another thing I, I want you to see, particularly girls, I want you to listen to me. How many ladies are in this room today? Don't, and I won't ask you to respond at all, but that some guy was after you. He was opening your door. He was telling you you were beautiful. He was taking you on nice places. He was spending money with you. But when you slept with him, he dumped you. It happens. Why does it happen like that? Because a man's lust is not love. If he tells you he loves you when the windows are fogged up or when you're getting out of the hotel, he is lying. It is his lust, not his love. Listen to me, young girls. If he tells you that, you call your youth pastor or me or somebody will, your parents will pick you up and take you home. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, the second thing that happened, not only the rape in his home, but now his son Solomon, who succeeded him as a king, loved many foreign women, hundreds. He was a polygamist. The Lord had clearly instructed the children of Israel, you must not marry them because they'll turn your hearts to their gods. See, this is the root of it. Your love for God will be pulled aside by this idolatry. He insisted on doing it anyway. 
You realize later the nation of Israel was divided never to be a world superpower again. And all this was the judgment of David's sin. Now let me broaden this a bit. I want to make this statement. The life we live will determine the legacy we have to leave to our children. I have stayed within the sexual boundaries, not because I always feel like it, but I have chosen to for 36 years, and every day of my life I pray that I stay in that boundary. And I'll tell you several reasons. One, I love the Lord. Two, I fear the Lord. Three, I don't want to lose my job. Four, I love children. And I, I, I see your kids at the door and other places. I don't want you to have to tell them where pastor is not here anymore. But then I have a greater motivation. One, I'm sitting on the front row, my daughter Rebecca. I don't want them to lose confidence in their father. And there's something you'll do for your children that you wouldn't do for anyone else. The life we live will determine the legacy we leave to our children. Let me broaden it a bit. Anybody ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Great preacher, 1700s during one of the Great Awakenings. Well, his wife Sarah and he had 11 children. And all the women said, thank God it's not me. Sarah had 11 children. Listen to this. Every night he'd spend an hour talking to his family and praying a blessing over each child. Now, these are the words of a historian that researched his life. Uh, they passed on a godly legacy to their children. Have you ever heard of a guy named Max Jukes? I hadn't either until I read this. Max Jukes was a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards, and someone did research on his life because they were in the New York State prison system, and they were looking at family trees of the prisoners. And they found a commonality to Max over four generations. Max Jukes' legacy, 190 prostitutes, 100 and plus drunks, seven murderers, 150 criminals, and 310 dies paupers. But an educator studied Jonathan Edwards' life, and from Jonathan and Sarah and their 11 children, here's what happened in four generations. Two vice presidents, three U.S. senators, 100 lawyers, 100 pastors, 190 prostitutes. Now listen, I'm not belittling the prostitutes. She needs Jesus, just like all of us do. But there's a difference. 30 judges, 60 doctors, 60 authors, 80 public servants, 75 military officers, 65 college professors, and 13 college presidents. What's the difference? It's the legacy they left their children. How a parent raises their child, the love they give them, the values they teach, including sexual morality, the emotional environment they offer, the education they provide, it all influences children, but not just their kids, four generations. The life you and I live will determine the legacy we leave to our kids, in particular regarding our sexual choices. Let me give you one more. There's another consequence David had. His reputation and testimony were damaged. This is big to me. 1 Kings 15:5. Now, David is dead. One of his son, kind of grandson, is, is the king. And here's David's epitaph. David had done what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and had obeyed the Lord's command throughout his life, except in the affair concerning Uriah the Hittite. 
You know, even in our world today, the only thing people remember is the boo-boo. But that was kind of his epitaph. I wonder how many times David looked back on that one night with Bathsheba and wished he'd never done it. A sexual affair might promise happiness, but will produce regret that lasts a lifetime. Now let me make it a little more personal today. Not only were there consequences for David, but there were consequences for me and consequences for you if we live outside the boundary. I want to read a New Testament passage, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. Paul writes these words. He says, don't you realize if a man joins himself to a prostitute, and this is one example of many, of sexual immorality, he becomes one body with her. Now, obviously, that's the allusion to sexual intercourse, one body. Uh, it, it reflects back to Genesis 2.24 when God created man and woman and said they would be one flesh. Now, he says, run from sexual sin, but notice this. No sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality, it's the Greek word porneia, it's the broadest definition of immorality, is a sin against your own body. Now, if you'd have told me this when I was 18, I'd have said, so what? Or you're crazy. But at 62, I understand it. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So glorify God in your body. Again, this is not just fighting your hormones or your flirtations because you're scared God's going to get you or, or whatever, you know, or you're doing it for your kids or you have to because the preacher says so. It's because you love God. See, this is where it all comes from. Why is one body with someone I'm attracted to a problem? i am tell you this. Sex is more than physical fun. It affects us spiritually and emotionally. Now, we've talked about spiritually. Let's talk about emotionally. Let me read you a, a, a part of WebMD. Uh, WebMD, how the love hormone works its magic. Scientists and women everywhere have long wondered what keeps a man from straying with a stranger. Typically, women hang in there. They're not, you know, pulled aside. A man can be reading Fox News and see this babe on the side of the cliff and try to find out her email address. I mean, it's just like, and I'm not saying girls are not like that too, but, but in a general sense, why is that? Then they ask the question, why do many men get married and stick around to raise their kids? Researchers, and think about the one body now, researchers have found a clue in oxytocin, a hormone released during sex that strengthens the social bond. The hormone boosts their attraction to their mate. In other words, sex with somebody bonds you to that person. When we're young and crazy, it's just as often and as many and blah, blah, blah if you don't have Jesus. But when you're older and you want to settle down, you want to have a wife that's going to be committed to you, not running around on you, come on, because a man's ego cannot handle it. I can tell you that. But you want... What your parents had, what your grandparents had. Well, the problem is if you've bonded with 50 people, it's hard. You're getting quiet now. Here's the truth. If we have sex with someone other than our spouse, this one body, it'll be harder to stay faithful to your spouse. That's why affairs happen on Facebook with high school sweethearts. If you saw, listen, my classmates, I remember what they looked like when they were 18. 
And when I look at some of them when they're 60, I say, yeah, what happened? <laughs> but if you're on Facebook and, you look and you're reading it, the lust that was there and the oxygen, it's just something, the bond can happen like that. But let me tell you this, there's other consequences that happen from sex outside marriage. Well, of course, unwanted pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases. You say, ah, disease can't be a problem. I go to the doctor and get a shot. Some shots don't work. As a woman, you can get a disease, and, 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 and some of them will prevent you from having children. And you don't even know it. Divorce. That's not automatic, but it's hard on a marriage because it breaks trust. And then sometimes the response will be for the rest of your life, your spouse, if they stayed with you, is going to spy on you. And then you get angry over that because they're spying. It will impact your relationship with God. If you're trying to live the Christian life, you'll have guilt, you'll have shame. Some have committed suicide. Depression. Here's a hard one. Comparison in marriage to past lovers. Your reputation is damaged and Christian testimony destroyed. All this can be avoided if you stay in the boundary. And you say, well, man, I've been so far out of the boundary for so long. <laughs> is there any hope for me? Yes. I can tell you not only from the Bible but from experience. God can forgive you and give you a fresh start. I'm not concerned about your past. I'm concerned about going forwards. And let me give you some hope here. Proverbs 5.18 says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you always be captivated by her love. Now listen, we all understand that there is a some degree of familiarity, of sameness the longer you're with a person. But I'm telling you, the Bible says it is possible that you can be captivated by that man, captivated by that woman, having been married to him 20, 30, 40 years. Certainly, love will evolve from a sexual focus primarily to a, a, a companionship focus as we age, but you can be captivated with the person that you're married with today. Let me say it again. You can be captivated with that person. Listen, you, you may have to do a little praying now. You may ask, have to ask God to help you. It may be hard to tear away of the past and take thoughts captive, but I'm telling you, what's difficult today can be great tomorrow, and I think we need to give the Lord a good hand for that today. Let me wrap this up, uh, and again, I know all of, uh, we live in a world today where most of us have messed up. We have a couple angels in the congregation, but most of us uh, have not. Uh, confession and repentance will bring mercy and forgiveness. Listen to me today. If you're living, if sex defines your life right now outside of your marriage, I promise you one day you're going to encounter something that makes it, it's not the same as it was. Something's going to happen. I want to tell you, one day you're going to need the mercy of God. And I want to tell you today, friends, you can have it. When, when Nathan confronted David, listen to what David said, verse 13. I want you to say it with me. I have sinned against the Lord. Yeah, and this is the heart of it. I've sinned against the Lord. And listen to what the prophet said. The Lord has taken away your sin. Let me say it again to you, friends who share the journey that I've been on. The Lord can take your sin away. You do not have to live under condemnation from Satan and shame the rest of your life. 
Some of us have lived under the shame and embarrassment of an abortion for 25 years. I'm telling you, God can break that off of you. And God can give you a heart to help other people who are now where you once were. Proverbs 28, 13, here's what David connected to. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess to God and turn, it's repent, they'll receive mercy. Now, you're not going to get mercy if you just keep going the same way. But if you turn towards God, which simply means if we make a wrong sexual choice, don't justify it, don't minimize it, don't cover it up. Confess it to God. Ask Him to help you change, and He'll forgive us, and we'll be glad He did. Come on, give Him a big hand today. He is worthy of our praise. Now, let me read a scripture to you. We're going to close with this. This is the most, in my opinion, one of the most amazing scriptures in the Bible, these two scriptures. If I was God and David had done that big stupid, I'd have found me another one. Anybody ever been fired for a job from a job? Yeah, sure. Lost your job? Told you, we don't, I don't want to be your friend anymore? Listen to what God did. After David repented. Now, the baby died. You see, there's consequences. Just because we get forgiven doesn't mean there won't be consequences. Well, the consequence was, in the short term, his child died with Bathsheba. They're married. He comforts her. He makes love to her, and they give birth to his son. And you know what the son's name was? Solomon. Solomon. Outside of Jesus, the wisest man that ever lived. He wrote the book of Proverbs, and then he went crazy in the book of Ecclesiastes. But you know what? God gave this man another chance. And the word Solomon, you know what the word means? It means God loves him. And this is the incredible thing. So often when we finally come to grips with sin is sin, we can't come to grips with the fact that God loves me in spite of it and on the other side of it. But here's the scripture that amazes me in the Bible. It's Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You know who's mentioned first? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Verse 6, Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Right in the face of the whole world, God says, this adulterer and murderer has been forgiven because he confessed, because he turned from his sin, and I am putting him in the genealogy of my son, Jesus Christ. I will crown the wrong choice with repentance with the right choice of mercy. And this is what I say to you today. Bring your yesterdays to the cross, receive God's forgiveness, and for the rest of our lives, let's live a life to glorify Him with our body. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and uh, I hope you got something out of this today. I want you to close your eyes a moment. And I would imagine some of you are squirming to run out of this place. Can I tell you why you're squirming, friend? First of all, I don't want anything from you. And I'm not going to do anything to you. You're a free will, free moral agent. You can do whatever you want to do. But the reason you're squirming is because you're running from God. And I want to ask you in particular, first of all, I want to tell you that I love you and I understand where you are because I've been there. I understand what it's like to love your sin more than you love God. But it's not until you call what has been a friend, an enemy, that you'll get free. And you've got to see 
that my choices and your choices, that when we live outside the boundaries, it affects our relationship with God. Now for all of us, just a moment, will you just close your eyes and have a personal private God moment? And I want to ask you this question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? In these last 30 minutes, what has God brought to your mind? And I want you to simply say yes to the Lord. For some of us, there's a situation you need to get out of. And God is prompting you. Would you say yes? Some of us need help on that computer. Would you say yes to confessing and getting some help? I hope every one of us today want to say yes to God's boundary. I want you to slip your hands to heaven and say, God, would you give me grace? First of all, I, want, I, I need mercy. I just want to stand with my friends today and all of us. Lord, in honesty and sincerity, I want to ask you to forgive us. we thought we were just having fun we somehow didn't realize we were sinning against our God and I want to ask you to give me a new heart would you pray that God give me a heart that loves you that doesn't do things because I have to or I'm scared not scared to but because I love you and would you give me the grace to stand up and do the right thing pray that right now Give me, Holy Spirit, grace. Help me to do the right thing. In Jesus' name, I just want to just speak against condemnation right now. Anything the devil has tried to put on my friends today, condemnation and shame don't belong on the Christian. They belong at the cross. And I take authority now over Satan's attacks against the, the shame of the past and the, and, the, and the horrential beating down of God's people. He whom the Son sets free, listen, I declare you free in Jesus' yes, name. Yes, yes, and join with me today as we take authority over any demonic spirits that are assigned to foster this mess in our lives. Satan is behind much of this. We want to take authority over those spirits that are pulling us into pornography, pulling us into affair, pulling us back into a, a past relationship that's not good and healthy. And God, I want to pray right now in Jesus' name that you would help us walk close to you all the days of our life in Jesus' name. If you'll give me three minutes, let's close this way. We're going to have a closing song. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up and they'll be here to pray with you about anything you might want prayer for. It could be for you personally, a family member, someone you care about. But I want to ask this question, this most important one, or I want to actually begin it perhaps as a statement of feeling of your heart. Maybe you're here today and maybe you'll say, Pastor, I, I just need to get right with God. When you were talking about the mercy of God to forgive, it touched your heart. You know, I shared my story, 17, 18, and 19. Mind you now, I'm having fun the whole time. Something began happening to me over about a six-month period. I began to feel empty inside. Now, mind you now, my dad wasn't rich, but he, he bought me a car. I'm driving a new car. I'm going to college. I'm on an athletic scholarship. My, the uh, uh, head cheerleader is my girl, one girlfriend, and the majorette's my other girlfriend. 
beers in the, in the trunk. Everything's great. But one summer, I had been playing baseball all my life. It was almost a god to me, but I was too old to play. I guess they call it Babe Ruth baseball back then. So I just worked for my dad driving this tractor. I'd, I'd cry as a 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid, and I couldn't understand it. And finally I did it. It was an emptiness in my life. Because after working, as soon as I got off work, I'd go smoke some more, I'd go drink some more, I'd go more, do some more stuff. But it didn't fill the void. It's like it's a, a bucket. And it's got a hole in the bottom. I don't care what you put in it. A car, a beer, a joint, a relationship, a this or that. It drains out. And you've got to do it again to get happy again. I'm telling you, I met a man. He's a Gideon. He gave me a Bible. He said, Jesus Christ would change my life if I would follow him as my Lord and Savior. And I listened to that man because I was spiritually ready. Because I realized the emptiness of my life. And I can remember it as like it was yesterday. August 15th, 1976. I asked Jesus to forgive my sins. And listen, I committed my life to follow him as my Lord and Savior. And it was my commitment to Christ. And his, his, his coming to me changed my life. Maybe you're here today, and that's the change that you're longing for, a real relationship with God. My mom made me go to church, but church won't make you a Christian. I mean, understand that. It's a good thing, but it's the surrender of our life to Christ. And if you feel like I'm talking to you today, you've never committed your life to Christ, or maybe you walked with Christ in the past and got away, but you want to come back to Him, let this be your day. I'm going to ask if you want to give your life to Christ today, that when they begin to play, you just slip out of your chair and meet us at the cross. We want to pray for you, give you something to help you. I promise you we will not embarrass you, but we want to help you. You say, why, why can't I just stay where I am? Here's something I know. you got to walk away from the past. It's not just a thought in my head or a prayer in my head. There's something powerful about the symbolism of walking away from my past life, walking to the cross to give my life to Jesus. We'd be honored to pray for you. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. As they're singing, our prayer team is coming to the front right now. Prayer team, come on up. They're here to pray for you about anything if you need prayer for. Come on up, prayer team. Most importantly, though, if you need to get your life right with Christ, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming.